This podcast is made possible by Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Welcome to Go Bronx Podcast, Episode 9. I'm Olga Luz. And I'm Angel. In this episode, we will discuss the stories behind certain Bronx monuments. Our borough is home to many, some date back as early as the 1840s. And if you're wondering which monument that might be, well, it's the High Bridge. It still spans the Harlem River from West 180th Street in the Bronx to Washington Heights on the Manhattan side and is open for pedestrians to traverse. Hey, you can see the High Bridge on the Major Deegan Expressway, or I-87. It once brought water to the city from the historic Croton Aqueduct. Lots of stories there. And it's why we might just dedicate an entire episode on it in the future. But today we will talk about some historic monuments that have their own stories to tell. Since we have many monuments, our episode will highlight five that have some interesting backgrounds. The first monument we'll talk about is the Ernst Herder Fountain called Lorelei, inspired by a German poem titled Die Lorelei, written by Henrik Hein. Have you ever read it, Olga? Yeah, it's the one where the mermaid sits upon a rocky cliff on the Rhine, luring sailors over with her beauty and soft singing voice. The sailors eventually crash into the rocks and die. Not the happiest poem, I might say. Yeah, think? The Lorelei Fountain is located today at Joyce Kilmer Park along the Grand Concourse at East 161st Street. I see it from my office window every day. It is made of Torellian marble and depicts the siren on top of a pedestal in which a bas-relief portrait of Heinrich Hein is displayed, flanked by two other scantily clad mermaids, all surrounded by decorative motifs of morbid symbology. It was originally meant to be unveiled in Dusseldorf, Germany in 1897 to celebrate the 100th birth year of the German poet in that city. In 1888, the Dusseldorf City Council commissioned sculptor Ernst Herder to design and carve out the fountain. However, by the time he was done, Henrik Hein's reputation was being tarnished, primarily because of his Jewish roots. Even in those days, there was a strong anti-Semitic atmosphere in Germany. After searching for sites in different parts of Germany and battling bureaucracies fueled by anti-Semitism, the decision to search outside the country seemed to be the only option. By 1892, German-American cultural clubs like the Aryan Society of New York were expressing interest to take the fountain. One of the first New York City locations scouted was the Grand Army Plaza entrance to Central Park. However, that didn't work out. Other parts of the city were scouted. Even the city of Baltimore, Maryland, was considered. On the suggestion of a New York State Art Commission appointed to solve the issue, the fountain was finally unveiled in 1899 at the south end of what was then known as Grand Concourse Plaza. However, the fountain proved to be a provocative work of art since many Christian organizations denounced it because of its topless mermaid motifs. After some vandalism at the turn of the 20th century, and increasing anti-German sentiments before World War II, the fountain was relocated to the north end of the now-named Joyce Kilmer Park at East 164th Street and the Grand Concourse in 1940. But the fountain continued to experience some despair. Someone even cut off the arms of the mermaids. It was quite mind-boggling. Yes. Fortunately, the fountain finally received a major restoration through the Municipal Art Society's Adopt-a-Monument program 
1999. It was then returned to its original location on the south end of Joyce Kilmer Park, where it sits today on a newly renovated piece of landscaping. The rededication ceremony was held on July 8, 1999, exactly 100 years from its original Bronx dedication. Wolfgang Scheffler, deputy mayor of Dusseldorf, Germany, was one of the speakers at the event. That was quite interesting. Well, there's another statue that sat in the middle of the Bronx River for almost 60 years before it was removed. That's right. The Bronx River Soldier, as it was promptly nicknamed, was actually a granite statue of a Union soldier during the Civil War. It was sort of a prototype of the many others of its kind found throughout New York City. Another statue that looked just like it stood inside the old West Farm Soldiers Cemetery on East 180th Street. It was carved by Italian-born sculptor John Grignola in the late 1890s, who also worked on the John Paul Jones Memorial in Washington, D.C. The statue was originally commissioned by a Morrisania veterans group at the time as a marker for Woodlawn Cemetery, but since the statue was damaged upon delivery, it was rejected by the cemetery, and thus all was thrown in the air for a permanent site. A local merchant who operated a tombstone quarry and monuments yard named John B. Lotzery secured the statue and erected it on the west bank of the Bronx River, located on his property. He then relocated the statue and placed it on top of a broken granite pillar that once held a footbridge that spanned the Bronx River. That location was just south of Gun Hill Road. Just imagine walking by and marveling at such a sight, a statue idly sitting in the middle of the Bronx River. Well, in 1964, after so many years enduring the ebb and flow of the River Bronx, the statue finally gave way to the forces and toppled into the river. However, the story doesn't end there. After a small restoration project, the statue was finally installed at its permanent location in 1970. Olga, let's enlighten our listeners on where they can see it. It now sits on the north lawn of the historic landmark Valentine Varian House also known as the Museum of Bronx History. It is our borough's second oldest house still standing, built in 1758, located at 3266 Bainbridge Avenue. Cool, right? We'll be right back. The world has changed a lot in the last year, and more than ever, you need health insurance you can rely on. Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield is the whole health company, and that means they are dedicated to improving the health and well-being of everyone in the Bronx and throughout the New York service area. They've been supporting the health of Bronxites for 86 years, providing you access to high-quality, affordable care. To learn how you can make a whole health connection, go to empireblue.com. Sigourney Weaver here to tell you about the New York Botanical Garden, 250 acres, 1 million plants, and you. Now open in the Bronx. Plan your visit at nybg.org. The Residence Inn by Marriott Bronx at the Hutchinson Metro Center on East Chester Road. This all-suite hotel offers an at-home feel with fully equipped kitchens, luxury bedding, a fitness center, free parking, free breakfast, and free Wi-Fi. Grab a bite to eat at their complimentary social hour or order a local craft beer at the bar. It's better in the Bronx. The Residence Inn by Marriott Bronx. For reservations, call 718-239-3939. 718-239-3939. 
So, Angel, Lady Justice is widely depicted blindfolded, but here in the Bronx, she's not. That is correct. The Lady Justice statue that flanks the entrance of the old abandoned Bronx courthouse on East 161st Street and 3rd Avenue has had her eyes on the South Bronx since 1914. The statue of Lady Justice is actually the Greek goddess Themis, or her daughter, Dyke. These goddesses are described as ladies of good counsel, and is the personification of divine order, fairness, law, natural law, and custom. It was carved in Tennessee marble by Jules Edouard Rouenet, whose work can also be seen inside Grace Church in Manhattan. The Bronx statue was considered to be one of his finest pieces. It is attached to the Granite Bow Arts Bronx Borough Courthouse that was built in a triangular plot of land bounded by East 161st Street, Brook and Third Avenues. The Third Avenue L tracks once roared past the unblinded monumental sculpture on the courthouse's south facade. Although Lady Justice was not blinded to any corruption, there seemed to be an air of it when controversy brewed between our first borough president, Louis Haffen, his architect friend, Michael John Garvin, and German architect, Oscar Floranius Blumner. Apparently, borough president Haffen worked with Garvin on the courthouse. Since Garvin designed the Haffen Building for his family, which still stands today at Willis and 3rd Avenues, Haffen had a special place in his heart for the guy. Garvin originally employed Blumner to partner with him on the building venture, but Garvin eventually took all the credit for it. Seething with resentment, Blumner began to make allegations of plagiarism and fraud about Garvin, which led to the very first office resignation of a Bronx Borough president, our first borough president, Lewis Haffin. Wow. Speaking of marble, let's talk about our fourth monument, the Christopher Columbus bust near Arthur Avenue in Belmont. This bust was carved by Attilio Picciarilli in 1925 and stood originally in the yard of Public School 45 at Bathgate Avenue and East 189th Street. In 1992, it was relocated to Daudia Murphy Triangle at East 183rd Street and Crescent Avenue, in the heart of Little Italy in the Bronx, to celebrate the 500th anniversary of Columbus's voyage to America. Attilio Picciarilli, along with his family of marble carvers, emigrated from Massa Carrera, Italy, to the Bronx in 1888. The family opened their South Bronx studio at East 142nd Street near St. Anne's Avenue. The Picciarilli brothers soon became accomplished sculptors and they would become famous for producing quality monumental statues then used as parts of buildings, as well as the usual freestanding kind. Their monumental work was also appreciated by other famous sculptors, like famed American sculptor Daniel Chester French. When French won a government contract for a monumental sculpture for Washington, D.C., he made a life-size clay model of it and hired the Picciarillis to do the actual carving in marble. They took 26 blocks of Georgia marble and finished the carving in their Bronx studio. Next, they loaded the carved blocks onto 13 flatbed railroad cars bound for Washington, D.C. Once there, they assembled the blocks into place. 
And that is how the statue of Abraham Lincoln in the Lincoln Memorial was carved out and put into place by Italian immigrants from the Bronx. Other noted works of Attilio is the facade of the Brooklyn Museum, the main memorial at Columbus Circle, and the Fireman's Memorial on Riverside Drive, just to name a few. As for the brothers, they worked on the Washington Square Arch in Greenwich Village, New York Stock Exchange in 1903, the U.S. Custom House in 1907, and the New York Public Library main branch in 1911. All in all, this family of Italian immigrant sculptors helped carve some of our nation's most iconic monuments. Indeed. However, the bust of Columbus in Belmont has attracted some unwanted attention in recent times. For many people of Native American descent, meaning those related to indigenous people of the New World, the Europeans called America, celebrating Columbus's legacy is pretty much an insult to them and their ancestors. For them, Columbus is considered an instigator for the brutal and cruel institution of slavery onto the natives of the Caribbean, which ultimately led to African slavery that lasted over 500 years. It was not until 1934 that the Order of the Knights of Columbus fiercely lobbied Congress on getting the holiday made a federal observance in celebration of Italian pride. Italian immigrants did face many injustices during the 1890s, and their need for an American holiday seemed as a solidification of their personal pride as new Americans. Yet, with so many people of color denouncing Columbus's legacy, there seems to be more of a logic behind praising Italian immigrants, like the Picciarelli family, who contributed so much to not only Bronx history, but to our nation's history as well. Perhaps one day we'll find a bust of Attilio somewhere in our very own Bronx Little Italy. Who knows? We'll be right back. Get it, baby, get it! And now, for a little segment we like to call, Yo Angel! Yo Olga! Did General George Washington actually spend the night in the Bronx? Good question. The best person to answer that would be Laura Carpenter Myers, director of Van Cortlandt House Museum. George Washington didn't just spend one night in the Bronx, he spent several nights over several different time periods. First off, in September of 1776, following the very unsuccessful Battle of Long Island, or the Battle of Brooklyn, and in the days leading up to the Battle of White Plains. George Washington liked this location here at Van Cortlandt House Museum because we were actually located behind enemy lines in what was known as the neutral zone. Washington was able to see what was coming at the house, both up the Albany Post Road and Broadway. It was a very advantageous location. So plan to visit Van Cortlandt House someday and walk on the exact same floorboards that George Washington trod upon. Now you know. Hey, Olga, I have one more monument that I am pretty sure only a small handful of Bronxites know about. In fact, you might need a small boat to get a closer look at it. The statue is a polyester copy of the Swiss folk hero, William Tell. The original is located at Aldorf, Uri, Switzerland. 
our Bronx version sits on a small island in the Long Island Sound called Rat Island. This island was first shown on maps in 1798. For many years, it was located within the Pell family estate until it passed on to other families throughout the 19th century. The name itself has not been fully determined, but there are clues such as... Well, one story is that when Hart Island, located nearby, operated prisons on its grounds many years ago, escapees would swim onto Rat Island as a byway to the mainland, like river rats. Another story lends itself to an infectious disease quarantine hospital that was once located on the island. It attracted a lot of vermin, hence the name. It was nicknamed the Pelham Pest House. Yes, that's pretty much what I heard too. Well, according to the actual owner of the island, because Rat Island is probably the only island located in New York City that's privately owned, the island was called Rattle Island because people would station themselves on the island with rattlers to ward off ships. Although the story may seem a bit off, Swiss City Island resident Alex Schliebe stands by it alongside his William Tell monument. Pretty bizarre, huh? Yeah. Well, Angel, it's been fun admiring statues with you today. But that is our show this week. Thank all of you for tuning in to our Go Bronx pod produced by the Bronx Tourism Council and made possible by Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Mucho thanks to the historic Van Cortlandt House Museum, located in the heart of Van Cortlandt Park, for letting us record this episode in their home today. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoBXPod. If you like us, tell your friends. If they already like us, make some new friends, and then tell them. For more information about this episode and more, visit GoBronxPod.com. And while you're there, subscribe to our e-newsletter to get the latest and greatest news from and about the Bronx. As always, I'm Olga Luz. And I'm Angel. Bronxfully yours.